0: Our scripture reading this morning is found in Matthew 27, 27 through 31. I'm going to invite you to take a look at that. And it says, it says, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus in the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him in the head. And when they had mocked him, and to me that says when they got tired of mocking him, they took the robe off of him, put his own clothes back on him, and led him away to be crucified. Quite a picture for a man who had done nothing. Last week, uh, we talk, as I talk about heroes and awards. Last week, through a Pathfinder article, I was reminded of the wonderful story of Desmond Doss, one of many heroes of World War II. Desmond was the first conscientious objector, meaning the first person who'd who'd refused to carry an arm into battle. First conscientious objector to receive the Medal of Honor and one of only three so honored. What made him so special? And the story tells us that he was a company aid man, in today's terms we call him as a medic, Uh, when the 1st Battalion assaulted a jagged escarpment 400 feet high. And if I look up, I... I would probably, Sam, maybe you could help me uh, rob somebody. This is probably about 50 feet high, 40. roughly 50, 70 feet high. 40. How much? 40. 40. You guys are saying 40. So imagine 400 feet high, and, the, and, and there's people below, and there is injured people above. As our troops gain the summit a heavy concentration of uh, artillery, mortar, and machine gun fire crashed into them, inflicting approximately 75 casualties, driving the others back down the hill. Uh, PFC Dawes refused to seek cover and remained in the fire-swept area uh, with the many stricken carrying all 75 casualties one by one to the edge of the encarpment, and there, lowering them on a rope-supported rope litter down the face of a cliff to a friendly hands. Seventy-five times under gunfire, saving a life. On May 2nd, he exposed himself to heavy rifle and mortar fire in rescuing a wounded man 200 yards forward of the lines on the same encarpment. And two days later, he treated four men who had been cut down while assaulting a strongly defended cave. And it's very interesting. The story tells us that he was so courageous that he came within eight yards of the cave to, to treat these men, Uh, without being wounded. The story develops, and there are at least eight or nine, ten different occurrences in which Private Doss uh, continue to show his courage and his willingness to sacrifice for his comrades, fellow soldiers. In one occasion, he was tendering a wounded soldier when a bullet struck him. He was unable to move and had to lay there for five hours until he was able to rescue to be rescued. After five hours, when he was rescued, he was put on a litter and as they're being as he's being carried out, they pass a soldier who is in worse shape than he is and he jumps out of the litter and says take him. For his heroism Desmond Thomas Doss was awarded the Medal of Honor. He was also uh, has a highway in Georgia uh, named after him. Uh, he has a Room in Walter Reed Medical Center named after him. The honors uh, were many that he received. Then the question becomes, what makes a hero? What is a hero? What makes a hero a hero? People do extraordinary things that make them very special but not heroes. They win difficult Olympic feats, and they become very memorable. They're not heroes. They perform marvelous adventures, such as Felix Baumgartner. Remember him a couple years ago? He jumped from the edge of space. Everybody saw it. But he's not a hero. Alan Eustace says two or three days later that he jumped from even farther out into space and still made it. But he's not a hero. What makes a hero a hero? Some people even lose their lives doing incredible feats. And we look at them and we say, what were they thinking? Such a person as Natalia Molcanova, uh, they call these people free divers. And they dive into the depths of the ocean without oxygen tank or anything. They just like to see how far down they can go and come back up without dying. And you sit there and you scratch your head And you say, if they were fish, they could go very far. But they're not. Natalia, she went on a free dive, never to surface again. Not a hero. What makes a hero? There's a story. Uh, that Carl Hefner, in his book, No Greater Love, uh, tells about a little sleepy town called Sayo, at Sayo, New York. And I'd like to share parts of that story with you, uh, if my device helps me here. And uh, you, could, you could Google Sayo, And you will find that it's a small town, 1,833 people. Uh, It is, uh, in in your Google search, you will notice that there will be one notable, at least when this story was written, there was one notable resident. And his name, uh, and my machine is working, here we go, okay. Okay. Uh, His name was Jason Dunham. Jason was born on November 10, 1981, to Natalie Walker, a 16-year-old mother and a father who didn't stick around to introduce himself. Jason, uh, Natalie then married Dan Dunham. Short marriage, but Dan took a liking to Jason and adopted him. So mom's gone, but he is with Dan. Dan remarries, uh, and they have three more kids. And so Jason grows into this family where he knew he was adopted, uh, but he was happy to be there. He was uh, 6'2", grew up to 6'2", kind of strapping, good-looking young man. Uh, A standout in sports at Sio Central High School. He excelled in soccer, basketball, and baseball. He did everything. Upon graduation in the year 2000, Jason enlisted in the United States Marine Corps, earning the rank of corporal. He was a Marine's Marine. He was the toughest Marine, but the nicest guy. He would do anything for you. Corporal Donham was the kind of person everybody wanted to be their best friend. Through his Marine career, he followed a stint in a security force Center sentry at the Naval Submarine Base in Kings Bay in Georgia from 2002 from to 2000, 2003. Then Jason was transferred to Camp Husay Bay, his a high elevation outpost near, near, near the Syrian border. And you know where we're going here. There he served as a squad leader in Kilo uh, Company's fourth platoon. In March of 2004, Jason joined a spirited debate among his, com- among his comrades that questioned the best way to deal with an incoming hand grenade. The Marine book tells them exactly what to do in every specific situation in battle. But in this instance, it's not very clear how to handle an incoming grenade. The tendency we would have is catch it and throw it. doesn't quite work that way. So 2nd uh, Lieutenant Brian Bull, uh, Bull Robinson, suggested that if a Marine faced down on the grenade and held their arms together with the Kevlar, that that may be sufficient to withhold the impact of the grenade, or at least to attenuate it. Jason, on the other hand, suggested that the better solution would be to take your Kevlar helmet and put it over the grenade, and that should help attenuate it. A few days later, on April 14th, three days after Easter Sunday, Corporal Dunham had the opportunity to test his theory. As they were coming upon some insurgents in Iraq, One of them had a grenade in their hand and attacked them. And as they disposed of the individual, the grenade rolled out of his hand. Dunham told everyone else to stay back. And the grenade had the the pin had been pulled. So there were only seconds on how to deal with this. And he put his theory to test. He took his helmet quickly and threw it over the grenade and laid on it. The grenade detonated, injuring uh, uh, Corporal Dunham to such a degree that seven days later, uh, he passed away, never uh, regained consciousness. For his valor, President Bush awarded Corporal Dunham the Congressional Medal of Honor. Later on uh, at the at the ceremony, President Bush um, said of himself of Corporal Dunham that his own life so that he sacrificed his own life so that the men under his command May live. Because of his actions, three of his men are alive today. He's a hero. Because of his actions, there is a uh, navy ship named after Corporal Dunham. There is a stretch of road named after Corporal Dunham. Heroes. And awards. There's another story of a young man out of a sleepy town with just one notable citizen. A young man who gave his life not for two or three people, but for all who believe. The spotless Son of God. Hung upon the cross, says the Desire of Ages, page 77. His flesh lacerated with stripes. Those hands so often reached out in blessing, nailed to the wooden bars. Those feet so tireless on ministries of love, spiked to the tree. That royal head pierced by the crown of thorns, those quivering lips shaped to the cry of a woe, and all that he endured, the blood drops that flowed from his head, his hands, his feet, the agony that racked his frame, and the unutterable, unutterable anguish that filled his soul at the, hide, at the hiding of his father's face speaks to each child of humanity, declaring, It is for thee that the Son of God consents to bear this burden of guilt." The written story does not end with honors and awards for such a sacrifice. There were no presidential mentions for that sacrifice. But as Steve Jobs would say, there is one more thing. He always saved the best for last. There is one more thing. He lives again. He lives again to give us hope, forgiveness, and encouragement. He lives again to tell us, I know there are bullets flying in your life. Take my hand. He lives again to tell us, I know there is explosions going on in your life. Take my hand. Let me be your hero. Let me be your savior. Jesus does not seek a purple heart. He does not seek a bridge named after him. He does not seek a road or a building named after his name. He seeks a living heart. He seeks your heart.